So take your Bible. We're back in our Genesis series, Thinking Straight in a Crooked World. And today I'm going to preach a message that every boy and girl uh, is familiar with and every adult is familiar with. Everybody is familiar with Noah's Ark. So that's what we're going to look at today. Now, in children's books, Noah's Ark is pictured a little bit different than what the Bible pictures Noah's Ark. Look at, look at this picture of Noah's Ark. It's a tiny little boat here filled to overflowing with big animals, okay? I, I can tell you uh, that, that's a beautiful picture, beautiful rendition, but it's not, it's not accurate. And we're going to get into the accuracy of Noah's Ark in just a moment. Have you ever asked yourself, well, why did God pick Noah out of all the people in the world at that time? And it, the world was full of people. Why did God pick Noah for this special mission that he had to do? Build an ark and basically rescue human race, the birds, the animals, and even the, the, the little creatures that creeped across the earth, little spiders and stuff like that. But God wanted to preserve them from the massive worldwide flood that he was about to send upon this planet. Now, I believe that God picked Noah for basically five reasons. Number one, he found favor with God. You find that in chapter 6, verse 8 of Genesis. That means he was converted. It's a picture of grace. And I believe that God picked Noah because he was a righteous man. The Bible says that in chapter 6, verse 9, and it speaks of his character. And, and I believe God picked Noah because he was blameless. The Bible says that in verse 9 of chapter 6, and that speaks of his conduct. And he walked with God, and that speaks of his commitment. That's in verse 9 also. And then in chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 7, it speaks of Noah's confidence. He was a man of bold faith. You see, God could trust Noah to do something very, very big and important. Now, today we're going to look at what did God say to Noah? By the way, if you start in chapter 6, verse 13, and you go all the way through chapter 9, God spoke to Noah seven specific times, seven times. And you know what's interesting? Noah obeyed God all seven times. Noah was a man of obedience. But what did God say to Noah? Well, number one, he said judgment is coming. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 13, the Bible says, Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Now you say, Pastor, why would a holy and loving God destroy in cataclysmic judgment, the entire human race saved Noah and his family. Well, look at chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. The Bible says, 
Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Bible says, the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, to birds of the sky, for I'm sorry that I've made them. Then the Bible says this in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. The world was in a mess. The entire human race had become corrupt and beyond redemption. And so God says, I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to destroy the human race and all the creatures on the earth. I'm going to destroy them, save those that I put inside a very special boat called the ark. Now, you ask yourself, did God give them adequate warning? Well, listen, he did give them adequate warning. In fact, two lives span the, the interval between the creation of the world and the flood. Two lives. One was Adam. Adam lived 930 years. And the other one was Methuselah. Methuselah lived 969 years. And listen to me very carefully. Noah was there up until just before the flood. And Noah was able to tell and give testimony to the fact of God's beautiful creation, how God created a perfect world. And how God had placed Adam and Eve in a perfect garden the Garden of Eden. And Adam was able to give testimony of the time that they sinned against God and the perfect world became a fallen and broken world. And then when Methuselah was born, the son of Enoch, his name means when he dies, it will come. When he dies, it will come. You, you say, what will come, pastor? The flood, God's judgment. And God, listen, when Methuselah was born, it's like God set the, the clock in motion and the, the world had 969 years to repent and get right with God. And do you know what they did? They just totally ignored God. They ignored his word, his will, and his way. And they all perished in the flood, save Noah and his family. Now, Peter wrote about God's patience. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 19 to 20 in the New Testament, the Bible says, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, that's Jesus, in between his resurrection, excuse me, his death and his resurrection, he went into, the, into Hades and proclaimed victory over Satan, sin, and death, verse 20 of 1 Peter chapter 3, who once were disobedient when the, pa listen, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. During the construction of the ark, 
in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now, not only did they have Methuselah, not only did they have uh, uh, Adam, but they also had the promise of a redeemer in in Genesis 3.15. They had the preaching of Enoch. They had the preaching of Noah, and they had the building of the ark. Listen, when that ark was being built by Noah, I'm telling you, friend, every time the hammer hit a nail, it was a reminder to the world of that day, judgment is coming. Every time a saw was cutting a board, it was a reminder that judgment was coming. I must remind you of a warning that God has given us us in the 21st century. In Romans chapter 2 verse 5, this was written in the first century, but it applies to us in the 21st century. In Romans 2 5, the Bible says, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You say, pastor, are you saying that God is going to send a cataclysmic judgment upon the world of our day? Yes, I'm saying that because he says it in his word. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's going to come like a thief. God's not going to put some kind of warning sign up in the heavens. I'm telling you, friend, it's going to come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Now, let me tell you something. In Noah's day, God destroyed the world in a flood. Here in the last judgment, the last judgment, when God's wrath is poured out on this planet, he's going to destroy the world through fire, not a flood. Let me ask you a question. It's a question for every boy and girl in this room. It's a question for every teenager in this room. It's a question for every young adult, every middle-aged adult, every senior adult in this room. Are you prepared? Are you ready to meet God in judgment? Now, I'm going to share with you today how you can get ready. And I hope and pray that if you're not ready... At the end of this service, you'll make sure you are ready. Now, the second thing God said to Noah, not only is judgment coming, but God said salvation is possible. Salvation is possible. Look at verse 14 and 15 of Genesis 6. God said to Noah, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Now, the word ark in the Hebrew means a box, a box, a big rectangular box outside of Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 this Hebrew word is used only one other time in the Old Testament and it's used in Exodus chapter 2 verse 3 
I want to read that to you, Exodus chapter 2, verse 3. It's an interesting use of the word, and there are many parallels to what we're studying today. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 3, it's a story of Moses when Moses was born. Do you remember the Egyptians wanted to kill every Jewish baby boy? And the Bible said that Moses' mother conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. Look at verse 3. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch. And then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. She set this little wicker basket with Moses inside, the baby Moses inside, in the Nile River. Now that word basket here in verse 3 is the same Hebrew word for ark over here in our text today in Genesis chapter 6. So here's the ironic parallel. Both Moses was saved from the flood by the ark, his ark, and Noah and his family was saved from the flood by the ark. Interesting. And the Bible says that Noah was assigned the task of building this huge boat. It, let, let me give you the dimensions. It's right here. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Now, I'm a simple guy, and I have to picture things in my mind. And I always go back to the days of athletics. 450 feet long. Do you realize that's longer than a football field? Can you picture in your mind a football field? It's, a, it's 300 feet long from goal line to goal line. And then there's another 10 yards or 30 feet in this end zone, another 30 feet in this end zone. It's bigger than a football field. Look at it. It's a monstrous boat. Not that little tiny boat with animals hanging all out of it but a big, huge boat, and God gave that responsibility to a man by the name of Noah. Man, what, a, what, what, what an incredible feat this was for Noah to accomplish this. This boat had 1.5 million cubic feet. So there was plenty of room for the animals, plenty of room for Noah and the family, and plenty of room for all the food that he had to carry to take care of them for the 371 days they would live in the ark. Now, here's what's interesting. All the seams of the boat were covered inside and out with pitch. Pitch. Now, the word pitch in the Hebrew is a word used to refer to atonement, atonement, or being made right with God. What a beautiful picture of salvation. In verse 16, the Bible says, You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top. Now, most, most scholars believe that a cubit was 18 inches, okay? You're to finish it to a, a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. Notice it says door, one door. 
One door, not multiple doors, one door. And you shall make it with lower second and third decks. It had three decks to it. So basically what you have here is an 18-inch window at the top that went all the way around this massive ark. And it was God's way of providing ventilation and light for Noah and his family and the, the animals while they were in the ark, those 371 days. Now look at verse 17. Behold, I... Even I, this is God talking, behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is a breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. And these verses, we see how God saves us. Now look, if you were living in Noah's day, and, and, and you refuse to repent and get right with God, I want you to understand that you had only one opportunity to be saved. There was only one way of being saved. You, you, you couldn't have your own little motorboat. You, you couldn't have your own little raft. The only way to, to withstand God's judgment of a cataclysmic flood was to get yourself in the ark. Only the ark could save you. By the way, that's a picture of Jesus. Only Jesus can save you. Listen, this world is facing imminent judgment because this world has become unbelievably corrupt. And God is going to destroy the world. But everybody who believes in Jesus will be saved. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. The only way that you can be saved from the judgment of God that's coming is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Paul wrote, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved, get this, from the wrath of God through him. There's only one way that you and I can escape the wrath of God in this life and the next life. And that is by trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Now, once inside the ark, Noah and his family were protected from the elements. They were protected from the wrath of God. They were protected from the catechismic flood that was inundating the entire world. How were they protected? By the pitch, by the pitch that covered the seams inside the boat and the seams outside the boat. Remember that pitch pictures atonement, the atonement God provides for us through his son, Jesus. The Bible says, if you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to know that you are totally secure in him. When, when Noah and his family got inside the ark along with the animals, I want you to understand 
that regardless of, the, of the, the fury of God's wrath that was going on outside the boat, everything inside the boat was calm. God provided everything they needed, everything. And God will do the same for you. The Bible says in John 6, 47, the very words of Jesus, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I can tell you this on the authority of God's word. If you step into the ark of salvation, that is Jesus, my friend, you are secure in this life and you are secure in the next life. Praise God. So what what does this mean for us? I want to say something to every little boy and every little girl, every person in this room, every person watching my live stream. If I could boil this message down to one, three, three words, three words, I, I would say it's this, listen to God. And remember seven different times from chapter six, verse 13 through chapter nine, God spoke directly to Noah. Now, what if Noah had decided, well, I'm not going to listen to God. I'm going to do my own thing. I, I've got plans for my own life. It would have been an unmitigated disaster. The creation that we, that we know today would not even be in existence. Listen, listen to me very carefully. I beg of you, listen to God. You, you say, but pastor, I don't hear God speaking to me. Well, let me tell you how to hear God speak to you. Read the Bible out loud. If you read your Bible out loud, you're listening to God speak. He's speaking to you through the word. He's speaking to you through the word this morning. Because I'm not up here giving you my opinion. My opinion is useless. I'm up here going verse by verse, teaching you the word of God. And God is speaking to you this morning. Are you listening? Are you listening today? Oh, pastor, I look around and everything seems to be going pretty good. That's what they thought in Noah's day too, until it started raining. And still, until God unleashed the torrents of water from below the earth and they started bubbling up and everything started flooding. We're not talking about a flood like they had in Fort Lauderdale that last week. We're talking about a massive worldwide flood where the flood even covered the highest mountains. Are you listening? Are you listening to God? So God said to Noah, judgment is coming. He said to Noah, salvation is possible. And thirdly, he said, faith is required. Faith is required. Now, it's one thing when a, a person makes a promise to you. A person promises you, listen, I'll I'll be there for your birthday. I promised my mom yesterday, her birthday, 93rd birthday is today. And I promised her that that, uh, I was coming, Darlene and I were coming yesterday and we were going to celebrate her birthday. Darlene made her a strawberry cake. And to be honest with you, she's never asked for a strawberry cake before. And Darlene said, Chuck, are you sure? 
I said, Darlene, all I know is she asked for a strawberry cake. Just make it. And I'm telling you, we cut her a big old piece of strawberry cake and she ate every bite of it with ice cream yesterday. So it's one thing for me to make a promise to my mom. It's another thing for a, a, a person to make a promise to you. But let me tell you what's even better. It's when God makes a promise to you. When God makes a promise to you. Now look at this, verse 18. God promises Noah, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. This is the first time in the Bible that the word covenant is used. God promises Noah, Noah, you and your family will survive this cataclysmic judgment. You will have a hope and a future. This amazing blessing was not the result of the fact that Noah was somehow good enough. It was not the result of the fact that he had some kind of religious uh, persuasion with God. That's not why God promised this to him. I want you to understand that God's covenant with Noah was based upon the sheer mercy and grace of God. And I'll tell you, my friend, the Lord Jesus in the New Testament in Luke chapter 22 made a promise to everybody who believes in him. It's called the new covenant. And he promised, he pro- look what he promised. He promised that he would forgive our sins, that he would make us righteous before God, that he would give us eternal life, and that one day he would bring us to heaven. Is that not incredible? And none of that will occur because we're good or we're religious. Listen, if you're saved today, if you're in the ark of Jesus, I I promise you, friend, you're in there by the grace and mercy of God. You're not in there because you've earned your way, because you're better than anybody else. You're in there because because God had mercy on your soul, and he poured out his grace, and you chose to respond to God's grace and mercy by repenting of your sin and placing your faith in Jesus. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Isn't that interesting? They shall be male and female. Look, this series is entitled Thinking Straight in a crooked world. And we've made it almost through chapter six. And there's a lot of crooked thinking that God is straightening out in Genesis chapter one through chapter six. For instance, he's straightening straightening out our, our crooked thinking about sin, about judgment, about creation. He's straightening out our our crooked thinking about evolution versus creation. And we know that creation is the truth. And he's straightening out 
our insane, crooked thinking about gender in our culture today. It's interesting. God said to Noah, I want you to bring these animals into the ark, male and female. Why? Why male and female? So they could reproduce, so they could replenish the earth. God knows exactly what he's doing. And he does not need our advice, nor does he need the advice of scientists. Look at verse 20 of the birds and after their kind and animals after their kind of creeping things on the ground. That's those little spider things again. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Now the kinds referred to here are, are, are three major groups, land animals, birds, and creeping things. Obviously, the water creatures had no need for safety. They could exist in the flood. Would the ark have been large enough to accommodate all of them? Let me, let, let me just read you something from Christian Answers website. Remember, there are really only a few very large animals, such as dinosaurs or elephants, and these would be represented, represented by young ones. Obviously, God didn't send two full-grown giraffes to, to, uh, to uh, Noah for, for these two full-grown giraffes to get into the ark, nor did he send two full-grown elephants for the elephants to get into the ark. God sent two very young giraffes and two very young elephants to get in the raft. Listen, this, this article goes on to say, assuming the average animal to be about the size of a sheep and using a railroad car for comparison, we know that the average double-deck stock car can accommodate 240 sheep. Thus, three trains hauling 69 cars each would have ample space to carry 50,000 animals filling only 37% of the ark. This would leave an additional 361 cars or enough to make five trains of 72 cars each to carry all of the food and the baggage plus Noah's family of eight people. The ark had plenty of space. You know, I got to think about this baggage thing. Remember, there was Noah's wife. <laughs> there was Shem's wife. There was Ham's wife, and there was Japheth's wife. Now, look, I've traveled with Darlene for a long time. I can travel with a shoebox. But that sister, so I, I sort of feel for Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But there was plenty of room for all the animals, all the food, and all of the ladies' baggage. Now look at verse 21, Genesis 6, 21. As for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible and gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Now before the flood, people ate fruit and vegetables and nuts. Animals ate grass, straw, so forth. After the flood, 
after the flood, God gave Noah and the human race the privilege of eating meat. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, the Bible says, Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Now, God guaranteed Noah and his family that the ark was sufficient for all of their needs. And I tell you, if you're a born-again believer in this room today, Jesus is sufficient for all of your needs in this life and the next life. Listen to God. Are you listening? You see, this is his word. By the way, all Noah had to go on was the Word of God. Noah didn't have a Bible. He didn't have a Bible. All he had to go on was the Word of God. All we have to go on is the Word of God. Aren't you glad you got a Bible? So what did God say to Noah? He said, judgment is coming. Number two, salvation is possible. Number three, faith is required. The Bible says, for by grace, through faith alone, are we saved. We're saved by faith, putting our faith and trust in Jesus. Now, there's a, a fourth thing that I want you to notice here. God says this to Noah. Obedience is crucial. Look at Verse 22, thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Noah had a lifestyle of obedience. He did everything that God told him to do with urgency and expectancy. And he did it all in faith, trusting God's word. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, the Bible says, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. The New Testament talks about how Noah was a man of faith, how he was a man who obeyed God's word. By the way, I want you to understand that this is exactly the kind of response that Jesus expects out of everybody in this room, everybody watching live stream, everybody in the world. He expects us to obey him. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, Jesus told a parable. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against that house, 
and it fell, and great was its fall. So Jesus said here, if you act upon his word, if you obey his word, it's like building your house on the rock, on a solid foundation. And the rains can come and the floods can come and problems can come into your life and it seems like you're going to drown. But your life is founded on the rock because you obey God. You obey his word. But Jesus said, if you hear his word and you refuse to obey it, it'll be like building your house on the sand. The same rains will come, the same floods will come, the same winds will blow. And your house will be destroyed. Your life will be destroyed. Why? Because you chose to disobey God's word. That's why I'm saying to you over and over again in this message, listen to God. Listen to God. Don't just hear his word, do his word. Obey his word. What's he saying to us today? He's saying to the people at Carville First Baptist Church, I want you to understand, people, God, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. He's saying to us, salvation is possible. You can be saved. Right here today, you can be saved. You can enter the ark today by believing in Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. And I hope and pray if you have not done that yet, that you'll do it today. And faith is required. Jesus will give you eternal security. And he'll meet every need in your life. How could you turn that down? Seriously, it's the best offer you've ever received in your life. That God would forgive your sin, bless you with abundant life here and now, eternal life in eternity, and you'll be with Jesus forever. Oh, I'm praying today that some of you will make your way to the ark and you will believe in Jesus. I'm gonna ask our worship team to come, our staff to come. And I wanna invite you to come to one of our staff members in just a moment. We're gonna worship it. And I want you to come to them and say, hey, today, today, I, I wanna come into the ark. I, I wanna believe in Jesus. I want that abundant life now. I want that eternal security in Christ. And we'll help you with that decision. I, I tell you, friend, obedience is crucial. Here's the thing that just blows me away about Noah. Noah did everything God told him to do. Everything. I wonder what he's calling you to do today. Is he calling you to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus? Come to one of these staff members. Don't, don't say no to the word of God. 
Listen, obey him. Or maybe he's calling you and your family to join this church and become a part of this fellowship. Come to one of our staff members. We'll help you with that. Or maybe he's calling you to give generously and joyfully to this ministry so that we can make a difference in the world. Or maybe he's calling you to repent of some habitual sin that is absolutely crushing you. Come, come to this altar, bow before the Lord Jesus, submit your life to him, submit that sin to him, say, God, forgive me, give me victory over this sin that's crushing me. Or maybe he's calling you to trust him in the midst of some very difficult circumstances that you're walking through. You can trust him, I promise you. Let me pray, Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will have everyone within the sound of my voice, not only to hear your word, but to obey your word. Oh God, have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name.